Welcome to episode 21 of Turning the Goldfields Green. In this episode, we are exploring the idea of a town or a shire setting a goal of zero net emissions and what it takes to achieve it. The term ZNet or zero net has been thrown around for some time now, and the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, for whom I work, has had it as a goal for around five years. We wanted to help our community transition to zero net emissions. But for an awful lot of people, the words don't really mean anything. There is perhaps a vague sense of something mathematical and not very interesting. And in some ways, that is actually true of the ZNet process. It is about measuring the emissions of whoever wants to undertake it. So that could be a business, an institution, a shire, such as in our case, or an entire country. And then figuring out how to change things so that your emissions are lower and your carbon sequestration or carbon absorption is higher. However, in other ways, the zero net emissions process is everything that we've been talking about and striving for in sustainability for decades. It is about uniting all of the local initiatives under a common umbrella and finding where the gaps are and supporting each other to get these things underway. It's about behaviour change, policy change, changing how we do business, supporting local businesses and producers to go greener, managing our waste well and building renewable energy sources. Very recently, we here in the Mount Alexander Shire have begun the process of creating a Shire-wide plan for zero net emissions, which will include all currently active community sustainability groups and environment groups, new and emerging groups, individuals with an idea and some passion, as well as local council, Sustainability Victoria and various other organisations. Today's episode is all about this emerging process. I have interviews with Taryn Lane and Terry White. Taryn is acting as a consultant here in Mount Alexander as we begin this process towards zero net emissions. She has been instrumental in the community-owned Hepburn Wind Farm and the Hepburn ZNet initiative, which launched last year. Hepburn is our neighbour to the southwest and is home to beautiful townships like Creswick, Dalesford and Trentham. Terry White, you may remember from episode five, where he talked about his life of community work and environmental action. So he's joined us today to tell us about what has been happening already in this shire over many years of work from many organisations, including MASG. Interestingly, most of the Hepburn Shire is also in Jara country, as is Mount Alexander, home of the Jajawarong. So I'd like to acknowledge that this program and the work we're talking about is all taking place on the land of the Jajawarong, who never signed a treaty and who never ceded their sovereignty. Our local community gathered on the weekend to listen, learn and pay respects to the hard home truths of Indigenous lives in the past and now. So I would like to acknowledge the grace and strength of our local Indigenous community and pay respects to the family of Tanya Day, an Indigenous woman who died in police custody in Castlemaine in 2017, just three years ago. The protests in America have resonances here for good reason. Salt, salt, salt of the earth. Salt, 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 grassroots, salt of the earth people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. 
Taryn, can you briefly tell our listeners a bit about your role in Hepburn Wind and how that led you to be involved with the Hepburn ZNet initiative? Sure. So I have worked for Hepburn Wind for over 10 years now. So I I manage the cooperative and and wind farm half of my week. I'm very pleased to do so. I really um, enjoy having that role in our community and taking care of the, the wind farm and all its various little projects. We were the first example of a zero net energy town in Australia. So the two turbines in Leonard's Hill effectively generate enough electricity to offset the consumption from where the wind farm is in Leonard's Hill through to Hepburn Springs. So we say that the Dalesford Hepburn Springs little community is is effectively a zero net energy town. And we always had pretty big ambitions to grow that model of, you know, real decentralised community energy across the Shire and be able to eventually make the whole Shire a zero net energy Shire and then eventually aim for zero net emissions. So we have had an MOU with our council for several years now around the target of zero net energy by 2025 Shire-wide. And uh, recently through the Hepburn ZNet project, we, we were able to add on to that ambition with a zero net emissions target by 2030 that, that's for community-wide. So how it happened that we did the Hepburn ZNet project was that because we had this these ambitions, we knew that in order to you know reach these targets, we would need to have a, a master plan, a strategy in place that, that set out exactly what we needed to do with how much lead time, what the business case was for those activities and, and what effect they would have on offsetting our, our energy footprint or offsetting our emissions footprint. We tried to get funding for several years and weren't successful. And at that time, we were also looking at getting funding um, for the Mad Alexander Shire because, you know, groups like MASC had you know, a long-term goal of reaching zero net emissions. So we were trying to get collective funding and, yeah, weren't, weren't successful at all with that. But eventually, um, we were successful with some funding under Sustainability Victoria as a pilot program to basically model out, you know, what is it what does it take to get to zero net emissions for a community and how do you do it in a really, I guess, a bottom-up place-based approach. So we were successful in getting that funding in 2018 and then rolled out the project in uh, 2018, 2019 and then launched it sort of halfway through last year when we'd finished the master planning community and we did that project under the umbrella of Renew, which is uh, the new name for the Alternative Technology Association. So Renew's a not-for-profit and brought together a consortium to try and figure out how how do we do this. And what we did was we took a model that had been deployed in Urala in New South Wales back in 2015. But in Urala, the model was only for uh, zero net energy and it only looked at sort of uh, stationary heat and electricity. So it didn't look at transport at all within that energy footprint. And we took all of their kind of early work and and model because it was under Creative Commons. And then I guess we kind of supercharged it and went, how do we do this for the full emission spectrum and, and what does that look like? So yeah, so that that's that's how I got involved and and how we how we did it um, and 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 who kind of led it. So I I led it. I designed it and led it under the umbrella of, of Renew, and we had over thirty project partners, including a lot of in kind project partners to help make it happen. And of course, you know, groups like our council, Hepburnshire Council, 
Hepburn Wind, Hepburn Relocalisation Network, Share, Transition Creswick and Trentham Sustainability Group. So these, most of these are not-for-profit sustainability or environmentally focused groups that were already existent and doing their own good work, is that right? Yeah, a, a chunk of them are, and then a chunk of them are real, I, I guess, strategic partnerships that we needed to have, and then others were strategic partnerships that we wanted to have. So some of the ones that we needed to have were things like PowerCore, so our network distributor, and then, you know, the more strategic ones were partnering with the University of New South Wales, so the Practical Justice Initiative under UNSW, because we wanted to be able to bring a social justice lens to um, how we developed our community transition plan. Mm, great. So let's go back a step. Mm. Can you explain to people what zero net emission actually means, I think, or zero net energy and what the difference is? Because I, I think a lot of people just hear that and hear white noise or they, they don't really know what it means. So could you explain the concept? Yeah, sure. So zero net energy means that you effectively generate enough energy locally to offset the consumption needs of a community. So, you know, effectively in the example of Dalesford and Hepburn Springs, the wind farm out at Leonard's Hill generates enough electricity for around about 2,100 homes a year. And it's averaged over the year. And, you know, there's around about 1,850 households within that footprint. So we, we effectively say we generate, you know, more than enough for the energy needs of that local area. You know, it's, it's not a, an exact match um, as you're generating, you know, that you're offsetting that consumption directly. It's aggregated over a year. And so I guess at times, like with our solar panels, the wind farm is pushing energy into the grid that gets distributed further than your shire, but at other times you are drawing from the grid, but overall it evens out. It evens out, exactly. That's correct. And, and you know, it's similar with a zero net emissions target. So you, you, you start looking at all these other aspects. So beyond energy, you know, there's agricultural emissions, there's, you know, transport emissions, waste emissions, industrial emissions, land use emissions, and... Again, it's it's about either generating more than enough to offset, you know, those emissions or reducing emissions on site as much as possible so that overall you can reach, a, you know, a level of equality there, a level of balance. That's really interesting because it's such a complex equation, isn't it? It's, it's really hard to measure how many emissions are coming out of landfill because there's too much organic matter in it and how much you're saving or emitting via your agricultural practices. That's really hard to measure, isn't it? Yeah, it is difficult to, to measure. You know, on a simplistic way, it can be done in an aggregated kind of manner. So the most common way to do it is, I guess, using state-based level data where you look at it on aggregate against the state and then you, you sort of take your portion depending on how many homes and farms and businesses are in a, in a certain location. But another way to do it is to, to start with that and then to go out and get some real localised data on the ground and make sure that you're ground-truthing it um, from the bottom up. And therefore, you, you sort of go from having a profile to having a a baseline of emissions and really knowing what it genuinely is. Yeah, right. So you're now working with Mount Alexander Shire as a consultant as we attempt to generate a plan for our Shire to become zero net emissions. And I guess we're working on the baseline concept right now. We've got a survey out 
that we're hoping people will fill in to help us understand their energy usage in their homes. Is that what that's about, that survey? Yeah, so there's a bunch of activities happening. And again, we're doing it under the Renew uh, Consortium banner um, and drawing in a lot of sort of technical experts and, um, you know, obviously also hosting the collaboration with MASG and and council and, and other local groups. And uh, this early stage is really, yeah, about getting uh, getting the data in and starting to get community project ideas in. When we did the Hepburn Deadnet project, we, we really wanted to make sure that when we've got an implementation plan, it's out what projects and, and solutions we're going to have to look to, to deliver to reach zero net emissions by 2030. Wanted to make sure that as much as possible, these ideas came from the community and that we were building upon what was already happening on the ground instead of sort of reinventing the wheel or maybe talking about projects that weren't appropriate. So for Hepburn, we harvested 90 project ideas um, out in the community and then they all sort of went through an assessment and were in particular what has built up the early, the first phase in our implementation plan. So a lot of project ideas have come through the council forum that was the climate change forum that was held in December in Mount Alexander Shire. So all of those ideas will be kind of filtered into this process and then they'll also be opportunity for you know anyone out in the community over the next few months to add in any other project ideas that they think are really important to see part of the implementation plan so that's one piece of it and then for the survey piece yeah there's a few elements that are really difficult to get bottom-up data but they're really important so things like gas use wood use in homes what energy efficiency upgrades houses might have done you know over the past several years how they behave around compost recycling you know whether whether those are commonly deployed you know across a, a broad range of homes in the shire water tank usage and uh, sort of water efficiency appliances it's really useful to have very localized and bottom-up data of course we can go out and get data from like the network distributors and council rates data and things from the abs but just having again that ground truth thing is really important so the household survey is really about yeah your behaviors in at home and what how much wood you use a year and what sort of appliances you might use at home and if you've done any insulation measures over the past few years just so that we also get a really good idea of that housing stock within the Mount Alexander community because a lot of the opportunities in the early phases to to reach zero net energy a lot of it is around reducing demand so as much as possible making the housing stock as thermally protected as possible so that you don't use much electricity at home. So it's about switching switching from, you know, the old old forms of electricity to more renewable sources, but it's also about reducing demand so that so that we need less. Yeah, absolutely. And the purpose overall, I guess, is so that we know where we're starting from. So if our goal is to be zero net emissions in 10 years, we know how much we need to work, how much we need to hustle. That's right, yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. How many homes per year need to be retrofitted? What sort of programs are going to be most beneficial to have the most impact? And importantly, how you, you need a really good starting point or, you know, a measured starting point in order to track progress over the years and to, to know strategically where to switch, where to pivot your, your focus. So it's important to have a yeah, really good baseline as a starting point. So I've got a link to the survey on the podcast at the bottom of the podcast in the podcast description, I should say, at saltgrass.podbean.com. But you'll also see it around town and it is an opportunity for anyone who lives in Mount Alexander Shire to fill it out. If you're not in Mount Alexander Shire, 
please don't fill it out. <laughs> um, we really only need um, the local residents of the Shire to fill this out. And uh, it would be really, really valuable to the whole project to, to get a really thorough idea of what's happening. So as many people as possible filling that out would be really great. And it's one per household, isn't it? It's not like every member of the household. Yeah, that's right. And we'd like to have a minimum of, of 700 homes in Mount Alexander Shire fill it out. Great. So beyond this baseline measurement, which is happening now, there are a lot of other opportunities for members of the community and and community groups and other organisations to get involved. And we might discuss some of those ways in a minute. But let's first talk about how this project is sort of potentially structured. It's very, very much in the beginning stages right now. And we've had a group of people meeting from various organisations the last six months or so, and that's called the Steering Group. Can you tell us a little bit about what this Steering Group is and who's involved with it? Yeah, sure. So there's representation from groups like Man Alexander Sustainability Group, the Man Alexander Shire Council. There's also a, an arts representative, Sam, who, who's, who's on the group, people from Castlemaine Institute, also the Central Victorian Greenhouse Alliance, Sustainability Victoria as well, and SB and Council have co-funded this early phase, which is phase one, which is really about doing all of the groundwork in order to be prepared to pitch for more funding to develop a community transition plan um, and to finalise the community transition plan. So it's about getting, I guess, some of the inputs that can be quite time consuming and take a long time to get out of the community. It's about getting all of them now so that, you know, hopefully Man Alexander Shire can be well positioned to get further funding and then finalise the, the community master plan like later this year. So at the moment, there is the steering group and the idea is to turn that steering group into a, a roundtable that's a, got a collective impact structure around it. So it's a collaborative governance model and there will be opportunities for, for broader representation on that. So, it, you know, if people are very keen to be part of that, that they can certainly signal that, they're, that they'd be, be interested in that and that will be, you know, open going forward. So we're, we're just trying to, I guess, do some of the grunt work at the moment to, to set it up. Yeah, yeah. And I guess once we have a, a an overall sort of plan and idea of the various projects the community might like to run and participate, including existing projects, there are a lot of amazing initiatives already running in our Shire that can be included in the in the plan and contribute to it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it's not competing with what's already happening or asking people to do more than what they're already doing if they're already active. No, it, it'll be very much, yeah, recognising and I guess celebrating what they're doing and trying to amplify the impact of what's happening on the ground. For example, over in the Hepburn Shires, obviously, you know, Hepburn Wind, we have a whole bunch of projects that we're doing where we're in late development phase for a, for a solar farm to go off at the wind farm site and that project was was put in as part of the implementation plan and you know then we have other projects like our bulk buys and I guess that that the aim of it is to to make sure that there's instead of you know organizations a little bit working in isolation that we can come together and have as much impact as possible so since we delivered the Hepburn Zednet master plan we have seen a leverage of an additional 2.3 million dollars spent in the shire in under 12 months on projects associated with the implementation plan so it's allowed us to act really strategically and to get you know a lot of grants in a lot of philanthropic funding in but you know also importantly provide 
programs and, and projects that the community can invest in and and benefit from so there's been you know a lot of a lot of shared activity on the ground that's been really beneficial and i guess the the existence of the master plan in and of itself has enabled a lot of those grants to come through because it's a very convincing document to say that your community knows what it's doing absolutely yeah we know we know what we're doing we've done our homework and we know where we want to go and we've got you know all of the the kind of numbers and and figures to back it up so when the community is looking at the projects that already exist I guess if we all come together to create this idea of what's already existent in our shire, we can then identify the gaps and then people can start thinking about ways to fill those gaps too. So for example, if retrofitting rental properties is not being done right now because the grants are all for homeowners, we could look at creating a program to help fund rental properties to fill their gaps and put insulation in and whatever else. Absolutely. Yeah. So it enables you to kind of pivot to what are the key strategic needs of the community that need to be supported and and how do you get there and what opportunities might there be around those. And so the community consultation and involvement will become more and more apparent as this project goes on and develops Mm. and as different stages of this program get funded and are are able to happen. (laughs) So it is actually really about what the community wants to see happen. So it's about people coming together and presenting their ideas and testing them to see if they're useful and viable and achievable and helpful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, obviously right now is a really tricky time because of coronavirus so we we've been very limited with what we can do for this portion of the projects you know this kind of early grunt grunt work piece so a lot of the engagement has to be online for now so you know doing things like the community survey to to get inputs and we will have a an online platform called the ALSA platform that'll be able to harvest the community project ideas but also represent the ideas that came through the forum, the community forum last December. So, you know, a lot of the activity for now has to be online, but certainly for the next phase, I'm sure we'd be successful in getting funding. There would be a lot more out in community, public facing engagement opportunities happening. And it's potentially a 10 year plan. So there's always room for new ideas to come up and creative solutions and the evolving needs of our community sort of shifting with, with the community. So that's the purpose of the round table, isn't it? To to accommodate a shifting scene. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And to sort of review the implementation plan on an annual basis and go, you know, is this realistic? What What's changed? You know, during that time, there'll be different government programs that incentivize different things, you know? So, so being flexible enough to, to take those opportunities when they come, and to also, I guess, you know, maybe park ideas that aren't going to, to work out um, for another couple of years will be always part of it. It'll be iterative and, and ongoing. And flexible and able to adapt to changing needs, which is, I think, so vital. Yeah, absolutely. You would never anticipate the coronavirus happening, and I'm sure that that's created a whole different scenario for so many <laughs> communities. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess the ideas around sustainability and what it's all about shift over time too there's definitely a growing sense of Mm. well I guess it's always been there in a way but I'm sensing a a growing sense of the importance of community and connection and this sense of not being the masters of nature but a part of nature all of these sort of ideas are starting to really evolve and emerge more strongly yeah definitely and then I think also 
you know, the need for people to have pathways for hope is also, I think, coming together more, you know, that the bushfire season over summer was was really difficult. And although we didn't have, you know, lots of bushfires here, there, there was a lot of spot fires constantly and, and there's just that kind of background anxiety for people. Yeah, you always know it could be us. <laughs> You're always thinking that. And, and so I think, you know, knowing there is an empowerment element of going, you know, as a community, we, we're taking collective responsibility for our patch. And, you know, even in the face of, you know, maybe the federal government not doing their fair share and, and, and you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff happening, we're, we're still taking responsibility for our patch. And I think that there's a hope in that that is, is really needed, particularly, you know, through bushfire seasons and things like that. Yeah, definitely. That's great. So just on that larger global scale and that sense of what hope is about, we are just one small shire in regional Australia. What does reaching zero net emissions really mean? Like what impact can it possibly have on a global scale and why is it important for us to do this sort of project? I think, you know, it's always hard being an early mover uh, in a space, but getting busy and getting organised and doing what makes sense now means that we can start to lead into some of these these more tricky subjects. So, you know, doing what we can in regards to energy efficiency and, and energy as much as possible um, and starting conversations about the farming sector and, uh, you know, carbon sequestration locally and what to do about waste and what to do about organic matter and, and waste. All of these things are, are long-term tricky subjects that we need to start talking about now and, and start building our, our literacy and awareness of, of, of exactly how tricky they are but exactly what kind of solutions there might be. And I think it's you know, it's really exciting that the, the Mount Alexander community within their master plan development, you know, don't just want to look at mitigation. Everyone wants to also look at climate change adaptation. So that starts to bring in things like bushfire resilience, water use, community wellbeing, storm impacts, those those kind of elements which which are, you know, it adds complexity, but it's also really important stuff. And alongside that also bringing in circular economy, which does play in quite a lot, particularly to the waste equation and how we how we think about and deal with waste. And also the creative community. There's such a strong creative community across Mount Alexander Shire and they're heavily engaged in, in climate action and, and, you know, kind of works around climate change. So it's a nexus where, where stuff can be made possible. And on a global level, I think it's really important that as much as possible, communities like Mount Alexander that have the capacity to take action and deal with the complexity of how we need to think about things start doing so because the more communities that start doing that and setting, you know, targets, really, you know, benchmarking where they need to get to, the more of us that do that, the more impetus we put on, you know, our local governments, our state governments, our federal governments to do more and to do better and to be more ambitious with their goals. You know, at the moment we've got the federal target, you know, and the global target of zero net emissions by 2050, but the more small communities that go, actually, you know, we're going to take responsibility for our patch and get there by 2030, there's a, a huge movement of that, then it puts, it, it changes the game completely. It changes the conversation completely and it, it, and it gives permission 
to the government to yeah act accordingly. Go faster, go harder, go better. That's right. Yeah, great. And so there's also, as you were implying in this conversation, is this idea that we can be an inspiration or a leader or an example to other communities. You yourself have travelled a fair bit via a Churchill Scholarship to see what other communities are doing. And I know that was linked more to the renewable energies, but has that impacted how you see the ZNet potentials in in our regions? Yeah, I I guess what is, you know, very common in in Europe, but also in, in Japan and America is this idea of lighthouse communities, whereby communities that have you know, like Man Alexander does, like the Hepburn Shire does, this pot with all of the necessary ingredients in it to make the kind of changes that are, that are needed, that they are, I guess, supported to and, you know, the community takes responsibility for its its transition and tries to get there as quickly as possible and kind of sets itself up as a bit of an incubator of, of best practice and, and new thinking and new ideas. So, that is is a model that's quite common in in other countries, and I think it, it's time that Australia had had more and more and more examples of that. And without you going to see some of those communities over there, you may not have had such a a, a good grasp of what's possible here. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I think one of the one of the big things that I I heard over there because I was focused very much on 100% renewable villages and very much what was happening in regards to community energy in, in in those places. What I heard from them so much was because a lot of, you know, towns and, and villages and hamlets had reached 100% renewable. They were just starting to look more broadly. So in particular, they were starting to look at transport. And when I spoke to them about this idea of zero net emissions, they said, well, if we were starting now, we would try and tackle the whole thing. But because we've done things in a progression, we're just looking at transport now. But but their advice to me was try and tackle everything because we we need to to lead into these things with so much time to develop good projects that, that you know, their advice was really to, if you could, look holistically. So that's what we, we did with the Hepburn Shire. And then I think what became apparent is that if you're going to look at the complexity holistically, then it's not just about mitigation. It is also about adaptation and circular economy and the creative community and things like that, what the Man Alexander community wants to look at. So, you know, you do add complexity, but I think to set, you know, to kind of set a trajectory for for 10 years, it's it's good to try and tackle these things and understand how how they, they all kind of work together and how they change what a climate transition looks like because you know particularly for us when when we added in the social justice lens it it does change things you know if you're thinking about how you bring along the most vulnerable in your community you know climate transition it it changes what kind of projects you do So that was Taryn Lane, community energy advocate, consultant and manager at Hepburn Wind, talking about what the process can look like for shires like ours wanting to transition to zero net emissions. Next up, I have Terry White, who you may remember from episode five. Terry is an active member of our community and sits on both the committee of management of the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group and the ZNet Steering Committee. 
So Terry, I just thought it would be good to chat to you about what has been achieved and tried in the Shire before this moment. So MASC has had a zero net emissions goal and it's been written into the mission statement of the organisation for some time. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of MASC and how that came about? MASC early on did some fantastic work with uh, encouraging people locally to put solar on their roofs and, and, and organising bulk buying for solar and went hard at it. Right from the start, its objective was to, to do something serious about climate change and that was the, that was the rationale and the driver for the, the solar on roofs. But the group began to think, I think, bigger about, you know, what about a, um, a solar farm or, or a wind turbine? And because Mount Alexander has a reasonable wind resource, there was a lot of fossicking around to see whether there are locations in the place that could have a wind turbine like Tailsford had. But it, it was a really uh, rocky road, I think, because there are a lot of people that don't want to live next to a wind turbine and some, some of the locations that were identified were no-go areas. People didn't want it. And it's similar with solar, but that dropped by the wayside and that, that mm. became Mount Alexander Renewables. I think people got a bit bruised by trying so hard to get a wind turbine here and trying so hard to get a a solar farm here but with a lot of community resistance. In some ways I think maybe it was just that they were a little bit ahead of their time like even just by a year or two ahead of their time and there wasn't that sort of because like, there was a period of time where people were really worried that wind farms would yes. you know yep. create subsonic waves yep. of sound and you know affect people and I mean it's turned out to be bogus but People were genuinely concerned about that. They were. For a while. They were. And the state government, the, the Liberal state government at that time, brought in a restriction on on uh, where you could put wind turbines and so on as a result of that community disturbance. So I think all of those, you know, exercises, they consumed a whole lot of time and they were really heroic efforts, voluntary efforts, to try and get something here in Mount Alexander. I was in, as I say, I was in Meribara at the time, but I, I, I knew that just how hard people were trying here. And then I think after that knockback with the, with the state government sort of embargo on wind turbines in, in certain areas and the, and the community um, pushback against that, they focused their attention on the Shire as a whole and a lot of attention went to developing a zero net emissions plan for the Shire as a whole, yeah, not just Castlemaine, but um, all the all the, the townlets, and so some very good work was done at resource mapping at that stage. Yep. And by 2015, there's a, a, a diagram showing the circular economy of where the emissions were coming from, and where they could be sequestered. So that input-output sort of analysis was done with quite a few very capable people working together and they had a, a function at the town hall, uh, a, a bit of a fun, fundraiser and a show and tell where the placemats had these wonderful maps of where the emissions were coming from and going to. So, it, you know, the, the, the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group history of this sort of endeavour goes back fair, a fair way. I believe that diagram's on the MASG website and I can put a link to it in the podcast description. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So I think it was around 2015 MASG set the intention to help our Shire 
achieve zero net emissions by 2025. That's right, yep. So tell us a little bit about what, what that was all about. I think it was driven by a, an anxiety or a frustration that wasn't just here. It was, I, I believe it was Australia-wide. There was a, a section of the community right from the 70s that uh, were, were wondering why we weren't using solar. Why we, of all countries on the planet, have got such a great solar resource, were not using it? And why couldn't state and federal governments really see this and, and take up this opportunity? So these sorts of initiatives and of, of gatherings of people, I know they occurred right, and are occurring right across Australia as people are putting in voluntary effort. At that stage... Um, when that uh, flow diagram was done, it was realised that within Mount Alexander there were some large sources of emissions and some smaller. So the bacon factory, as it was then, was focused on as a possible way, an opportunity to uh, lower emissions while lowering costs for the bacon factory. And they saw all of that waste consumed and they saw the potential of a bio-waste-to-energy uh, application. So a group from Mount Alexander Sustainability Group Committee of Management, a lot of them with engineering backgrounds, began to talk to the Board of Management at Don's Works and talk to them for long enough, years, <laughs> to the state where a, an agreement has been signed between the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group and the Don Factory to do some survey work on technologies which might deal with the waste and turn it into energy. And that collaboration between MASC and the Don people and the council is quite strong. So we're probably likely to see in this coming year some tenders put out to the market and some people, uh, you know, firms applying to suggest technologies which might make energy use of that waste stream. And if that really comes off, that will be really significant, not just for Don, but for, for waste management in our region because there will be other waste sources which come on stream. So of all the MASC projects, this is the biggest one that's taken the greatest number of voluntary hours. And I think in terms of the zero net emissions goal, zero net emissions now by 2030 instead of 2025, in terms of that goal, if that comes off this year and next, we're likely to see a significant drop in emissions from Mount Alexander. So there's a lot hanging on it. There's a lot of people that have put a lot of their lives into this, this dream. And the fact that we are now linked with the council in that endeavour is, is, is terrific, really. And it could be a foundational aspect of the, of the plan that's now being put together. Yeah, the zero net emissions plan that we've been talking about so far in this episode. So MASG, obviously, also within that mission statement they developed in 2015 where they got the idea of the zero net emissions and everything, part of what they were saying in terms of the goals and values is to support the rest of the community to do work in any way we can. And so MASC has been doing that with 
supporting tradies to understand how to build more sustainably via sustainable builds and helping other groups get established like Boomerang Bags and the Repair Cafe who all, you know, do another part of this equation. But outside of what MASG does, let's talk about the rest of our shire because we have an extraordinarily active (laughs) sort of region for sustainability. There's so many groups. The Hub, for example, there's been some brilliant projects coming out of there. Yeah, I, 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 coming across from Meribah, I, I would stop at the hub and I would look in awe and admiration at those wicking beds on the footpath growing vegetables. And at one stage there were some, some locals using that, that ground floor as a restaurant and using some of the vegetables from the wicking beds on the menu of the, of the meals that they prepared. So I, I thought that Castlemaine was a pretty astounding place then and that's before I moved here but since I've moved I'm even more inspired by the action that's going on and it was always I think Mazka's vision that the zero net emissions reductions would not be brought about by a small committee of management they'd be brought about by partnering and engaging with the total community and and I think we're getting closer to that stage where there are so many people wearing so many hats and working and working hard in the same direction. So this is an exciting period, on, I think, now. Yeah, definitely. So just to name a few others, there's the Malden Climate Action Network, which is Malden Can, yes. and the Renewable Newstead Group, who are striving to make Newstead yes. um, 100% renewable. There's a very vibrant permaculture community around here, which is um, very vital to yes. that sort of thing. It's connecting country. Yeah. On all the landfill routes. Yes. And really, they're so understated, aren't they? But they do so much. And there are so many of them. Yeah, I know. Apparently, there's over 30 groups in our region. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, 30 different land care groups. And each one might have a creek that they take care of. So there might be the Campbell's yeah. Creek Land Care Group. And they just yeah. keep the weeds down. I, I think that that sort of adoption of a place, you know, it's like the, the roadside cleanup sort of structure where you know, volunteers say, I can't do much in the world, but I can do what's you know in my patch. And I look at what's happening in Harcourt too, with all of the you know, cooperative farming ventures there, and the and the dairy which has been established there. So the whole slow food movement that's loose in Mount Alexandra is fabulous. And local food too is so important. Yep, yeah. and the farmers markets. Yeah, absolutely, all linked to that. Mm-hmm. And then. Obviously, we've also got more sort of politically active groups around here who are also very instrumental in pushing for change at a yes. policy or political level. So we've got yes. ex- Extinction Rebellion. And, and I, I see them as the climate, climate warriors, if you like. Yeah. I mean, the people who are prepared to, you know, uh, I know at one stage the, a group from here went up to Newcastle yeah. and paddled out and in kayaks to sort of block the... The coal boats coming in, you know, this is uh, they're pretty putting themselves on the line, and that's that whole spectrum from the, you know, the quiet suburban people to the loudy, loud and, and active yeah, exactly. end of the spectrum. Well, they're all needed, I think, in these times. Yeah, exactly. So we've had a very strong contingent of student climate strikers. We've got an Extinction Rebellion group, and you have been involved in Masset, which actually pushed our local council to declare a climate emergency very recently, which is a big step. Well, we, we were extremely happy 
with what the council's response. And as, as you know, they said, no, no, we're not going to do anything until we get a, a feel for the total community and, and open the doors to a one-day conference where everybody was invited to come and have their five minutes in front of the council. And I think that, I don't I think that was about nine hours, wasn't it, Ali, that they oh, it was long. dedicated to that? There were three full sessions yeah. and it was only five minutes each, really. But... but it was so exciting because the great majority of those presentations were saying, we want you to take this seriously and we want yeah. to see more action. We, we couldn't have been more pleased with the response. And there were very few responses that were negative, saying climate change is a hoax, like that just didn't come out in that inquiry. No, I, I, think, there were, I think there was probably about one, one of those presentations yeah. which was of that nature. And also, of course, written submissions. There were a lot of written submissions. And, and they are, they've, they've been curated and you can get them on the council website and I think they'll be sort of published in another form too, I hope. Wonderful stuff. So there's, there's an awful lot happening and even on the social side of things, we've seen with the COVID-19 crisis, we've seen neighbourhood resilience groups sprouting up and, and various responses which are, um, as I've discussed in this show previously on, on different occasions, they're, they're exactly what people who've been warning against climate change have been saying will need to happen yes. as, as things start to change with the climate. And it's already started to happen here spontaneously. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's a really strong thing about this community, that the, the COVID-19 sort of lockdown has, has been a period where there's been some very fruitful thinking going on, mm. where people are thinking very deeply about where we've come from and where we're going to. And I believe this is a dress rehearsal for what's to come. I think that there will be more pandemics and there will be definitely more climate events floods, fires, you name it. And what, we, what we've done this time round should make us ready and stronger and more resilient for what's yet to come. Absolutely, yeah. So all of this is happening. It's a very active and diverse community and it's been happening for a long time. Like MASG has been going for 15 years or so. And so I guess my question is how is this ZNet Collective that's starting to develop now and has in collaboration with Taryn from Hepburn ZNet and Hepburn Wind and how is this different to what we're already doing and, and what do you really think this new group will be able to achieve? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's not different. I think it's the same, same motivation but I think it's, it's well, I, I've just said this, I don't think it's different but I think it's different in this respect that the initial impetus on, on renewable energy and tracking emissions in a numeric form and taking the very scientific line, I think to some extent neglected the natural solutions, the sequestration via trees and through via pastures, the whole regenerative agriculture sector. Yeah, so the other side of that coin, instead of just looking at what we're emitting, we, we weren't yeah. looking at what we could sequester and what we could save. Exactly. Yeah, just not what's going up, but also what we can bring down. Uh, that was being underbaked in, in earlier years. But also the recognition that the overall health of the planet from a human community and a natural community is all part of a, a climate response. And I think the understanding now is that this is, this is a, a, a cultural problem. 
as well as a physical scientific problem. And we're readjusting our heads to a great extent in terms of how we, how we live on the planet. There's conversations going on within the indigenous community and within the arts community and with just about every community you, could, you might mention because we're all recognising that we've come to this sad spot in history and we need to reinvent ourselves. So what you're saying, I guess, is that this new project, as it develops and emerges, is actually able to hold all of these different thoughts and streams and bring them together as a cohesive, unified, sort of holistic process. Yeah, is that what you're saying? I think that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. I think that, that via working groups, via gatherings, people clustering around their particular expertise and their particular anxiety or passion, all heading in the same direction. And I'm hoping that the the transition group will be able to, I guess, ensure that every voice is heard and facilitate progress on all these fronts. And that's that's a, a large part of the discussion in the transition planning group now. You know, what? how do we do this? And there's a lot of talk about the internet as a possible way to for, for everybody's contribution to be stored, if you like. And I guess Wikipedia might, might be a sort of an example of it. You know, but Wikipedia is sort of a, a dictionary that, that um, grows itself. And I think uh, what's being discussed in the transition plan is, you know, how can, how can we have this transition plan online where everybody can feed it and we'll get, where it just gets better and better and more and more accurate and more and more practical as time goes on. It's a work in progress. All right, great. So I asked Taryn this, but I'll ask you as well. <laughs> Why do you think it's important for a small country shire to try for this goal in the scale of the global warming and the dangerous climate change? How much difference can we really make? Well, I believe we're all equal at this time. We've seen what whole nations have done, three decades of meetings and very little to show for it. I believe that we could do something which could be of global significance. If we could achieve zero net emissions by 2030, by getting our creative minds together and our commitment together, and if we could bring it off, the world would know about it. You know, there was a time when you know local action was meaningless because nobody knew what was happening. But I can, I can search now on the web and I can find towns like us that have set the same goal zero net emissions by 2030 and I can look at what and in fact I visit their sites quite often to see what are they doing what are they talking about how are they doing it who are they contacting and so whatever we can contribute will be multiplied manyfold our successes will be significant elsewhere and that's why it's important for us all to put our shoulders to the wheel we can't look to someone else to do this stuff yeah, we can't wait for the federal government to do it because they're obviously not going to. Not this government. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What's more, they're chucking rocks in our way. Yeah, I know. It's scary. Yeah, I think you're right. What we do can amplify and encourage and be an example. Yeah, other communities can can take courage from us and realise. And if every small community does it, then it's done. Exactly. And, and I should say that, you know, Hepburn, some years ago, had a vision for a wind turbine, in fact, two. And they raised millions of dollars from Hepburn to get those wind turbines up. 
and they became a front runner in Australia, just like the kids here became front runners in terms of the Kids Strike for Action. Well, Hepburn showed that a small community that was committed and creative could have a profound effect. And so people across Australia know about the Hepburn Wind Farm. They know about Dale and Gusto. They know about those things and they're inspired by them. And it'd be lovely if we could be equally inspirational. People who are concerned about this issue could nourish and nurture their concern and hold on to it. And very soon there will be an invitation from the transition group to get on board and get engaged and we will know how to use your energy productively. And when we get everybody on board, which will be very soon, it's going to be a really great event for those people who've been on this trail for a long time. And those who have just joined us. That was Terry White talking about the various activities that have been underway here in Mount Alexander Shire for some time and what a zero net emissions plan could mean for our Shire. If you do live here in Mount Alexander Shire, please fill out the survey. The link is at the bottom of the episode description. It may seem quite mundane in some of the things it's asking you to report, but it will really help the zero net process get underway with a solid understanding of where we stand now, creating our baseline and helping us know what we can do to get to a zero net emissions in the next decade. Salt, salt, of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I have been your host today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in any of the books, articles or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our emailing list to get reminders and updates about the show. Email us at saltgrasspodcast.com at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, know someone amazing we should talk to, have a recycling tip, a green product review, or have a song recommendation. Again, email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Maine FM. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Maine FM or MASG. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. On another note, it's a tricky time to ask for money with so much uncertainty and many people having lost work, but both MASG and Main FM do brilliant work in our community and could use your support if you're able to give it. 
Main FM is going to be running their Radiothon from June 20th to 27th. And it's absolutely affordable to subscribe and get a bunch of great benefits if you do. Lots of local businesses give discounts to Main FM subscribers and it helps keep this wonderful station going. You just have to go to mainfm.net, the website, and click on the subscribe button. And if you fill out the form and select your favorite show, which is Saltgrass, of course, then you get to benefit from all of the things that are listed right there. And it's membership time for MASC. So as a not-for-profit sustainability group, your membership means an awful lot to us. If you are able to join MASG and support MASG in all of the wonderful work it does in helping our Shire and our region become more sustainable, it would be greatly appreciated. You can go to masg.org.au and you will see a memberships tab on the website there and just follow all the steps. So if you're able, please think about supporting MASG and Main FM. <laughs> 